I don't think that uh, you have to be a real discerning person to know or to realize and see what has happened if you've lived long enough just in the last few decades in this country. Is that somehow in the last two or three decades we have developed an insatiable desire for passing the blame, for shifting responsibility, for pointing fingers, and for passing the buck. It feels sometimes that owning up to your own responsibility is a thing of the past. Now, I have grown up in a culture that does not have any Christian ethics in it, that does not have Christian work ethic in it, and I know that this kind of mentality can do to a nation. It literally make it fall apart. And I pray that this would not develop here because we have a foundation of Protestant work ethic that has made this nation great, of hard work and of accepting responsibility. But somehow, of latter days, we found that a murderer gets away with his murder and he says, well, don't blame me, I was just temporary insane. Blame my insanity. And then gets away with his murder. A criminal gets off scot-free and he says, society made me the way I am. Don't blame me, blame society. And then... We have folks that have been on uh, welfare rolls and freeloading, and they say, don't blame me, blame the government. But you know what? In their case, I think they're right. It is the government to blame. (laughs) Somebody said we are perfecting the art of shifting blame. It was T.S. Eliot who said, humankind cannot bear very much reality. Somebody says, don't confuse me with the facts. And you know, you watch children. When something goes wrong, and the first thing they do, what? He did it, she did it, the cat did it, the dog did it, the neighbor did it, everybody else did it, except taking responsibility for what happened. Owning up to their responsibility and the responsibility for their action. I read recently about young Jeremy. He was asleep downstairs in the bedroom downstairs. His mother was asleep upstairs. He was nine years of age. He's a hyperactive type kid. And... uh, While they were sleeping at night, all of a sudden there was thunderous noise in the house. And uh, what happened, as the mother woke up, to discover there was a panel truck that that veered off the road and hit the house, the side of the house, came to a dead stop right in the dining room. And the first thing a mother's heart, of course, was, Jeremy! She wanted to know if he's all right. And Jeremy yelled back, he said, I didn't do it, Mommy, I didn't do it. (laughs) And you know, as we have been looking throughout the life of David, this portrait of a champion, as we have been studying his ups and his downs, have we seen his victories and his defeats? We come today and see David, this God's champion, that never once, never once, he tried to shift the blame for his sin. Never once tried to find a scapegoat for his sin. Probably between the time he committed the sin and the time Nathan came and confronted him with that sin, probably sometime at that point he began to convince himself that this is a royal prerogative. That probably he said to himself, he said, really this has nothing to do with my spirituality. It has nothing to do with my walk. And then he put it out of his mind until the Spirit of God through the prophet Nathan came and brought him under conviction. And at that point, he did not try to pass the buck. 
He did not try to point finger. I often thought, with all the kind of the stuff that I hear in our society today, I wondered myself if David was living in our day. He would have probably said, look, don't blame me. Blame Bathsheba. She was wandering around naked on the rooftop. Don't blame me. (laughs) You know, for the death of Uriah, he was a lousy soldier. Got himself killed. He could have survived. Don't blame me. I can't help it. My father was a passionate man. His father was a passionate man. And I just inherited his genes. Now, I'm telling you, I've heard just about everything. He could have said, like so many people in our society, you know what the problem with me is? My mother has weaned me too soon. You know what my problem is? Well, I got potty trained too late. I've heard some stuff from professors and from philosophers that I cannot even repeat right here. Or, I've heard from some people said, look, my wife didn't really love me. I know she didn't love me. Or, my mother dropped me on my head when I was a little boy. (laughs) Now, you and I know people like that, don't we? The last thing that I, I constantly hear all the time, well, I'm just out of love with my wife. I'm in love with Bathsheba. I'm in love here, I'm out of love here. And you hear them talk that language, you know, you think that love is like a shower, you just go in and out of. It is absolutely mind-boggling. But this God's champion not once tried to look for a scapegoat. Not once did he try to focus the responsibility elsewhere. He faces up to his responsibility. A true champion for God accepts the consequences of his sins. A true champion for God does not look around for a scapegoat. A true champion for God does not point a finger here and there and everywhere. A true champion for God does not pass the buck, but takes the responsibility as David did. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Now contrast David's reaction with a story that John Kellinger tells about a manager of a minor baseball team. As he was watching his team losing He looked at the center fielder and he became angry and he became mad at him because he thought he was just not doing very well. So he went out and he ordered him in the dugout and he himself, the manager, went to take the position in the center field. Well, what happened? The first ball that came to the center field, it took a bad hop and hit the manager in the mouth. Well, the next ball that came into the center field was a high fly. And in the glare of the sun... The ball hit him right in his forehead. Then the third ball came in and it was hard line drive. So he charged with his outstretched arms and the ball went through his hands and it smacked him right in the eye. Well, by that time he was furious. I mean, he was angry. So he ran into the dugout. He pulled the center fielder by his uniform and he said, you, you, you stupid you. You've got the center field so messed up that even I can't do anything about it. (laughs) Well, God's champion accept the consequences for their sins. For the all-important first step for forgiveness and for restoration to take place in the life of a believer... For that to happen and happen properly and biblically, there has to be an acknowledgement of responsibility. Jesus tells about two people 
One goes down and he starts reciting all the good things he's been doing. He starts telling about his credentials. They go into the temple and one starts impressing God with his resume. And is telling God all that he has done. But the Jesus said that this other man went like this on his heart. And he said, oh Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner. Jesus said that man who asked for forgiveness went straight justified into his home. But the other one probably will languish till eternity in his self-righteousness. God's champion accepts responsibility for their sin. We've seen in the past several messages, at least on two occasions, from the life of David, how choices have consequences. We looked at that very clearly. And the question here today is this. Do we accept the consequences of our choices? David did. If you and I continue to refuse to accept responsibility, then we will never grow spiritually. We'll be spiritual infants even if we are 70 years of age. But until we begin to accept responsibility for what we have done, the consequences of our sins, we will never learn what it is to be restored in the full power and joy of the Lord God. David had two things going against him. The consequences of his choice, coupled with his lack or poor leadership, spiritual leadership in the home. And together, they have netted a string of daggers that began to go in and out of his heart, in and out of his heart for the rest of his life. I know some of you are saying, well, what type of forgiveness is this? I'm going to come to that in a minute. Don't forget it. But I want you to look at some of the consequences of David's sin. You find, first of all, the baby that was born out of wedlock died. You say, what, 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 what was the fault of the baby? There's nothing wrong and fault with the baby. The baby went to be in a, with an eternal glory. That the sinning parents are the ones who are paying the price. The baby didn't suffer The sinning parents did. One of David's sons, Amnon, rapes his half-sister, Tamar. Another son, Absalom, goes and murders his half-brother, Amnon, to defend the honor of his sister. Absalom then loses total respect for his father. And he goes on to lead the revolt against his father, the king, and takes over the palace. Desecrate David's honor. David is on the run. All because David has failed to exercise spiritual leadership in the home. He went from one disaster after another. From one tragedy after another. David may have been a great king. David may have been a great warrior and a great general. David may have been a great psalm writer. But obviously David has failed as a father to exercise godly leadership in the home. Men, I want you to listen to me. David probably fell in the same trap that so many people fall into. And they say, I don't want my kids to suffer like I have suffered. I don't want my kids to go without like I have gone without. I don't want my kids to work as hard as I have worked. I want to give my children what I have never had. And I want to tell you, sir, madam, please listen to me. When you hand your children and your grandchildren everything on a platter, you are harming them. You're not helping them. Because 
you and I know that it is only through hard work and perseverance and diligence that they will learn the proper values of life. Some of you are asking by now, how come if God has forgiven David, why did he have to face the consequences of his sins? The same as a parent who tells their child, don't play with matches. Matches will harm you. Matches will hurt you. And the little one plays with the matches and he feels a little burn. And then he stops it. Then he tries some other time. Then he feels the burn and he stops it. And then finally, one time he plays with the matches because he thinks it's fun. And it burns his hand. It burns his clothes. And of course the boy is crying out from pain. And he says, Mommy, Daddy, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I should have listened to you. I should not have played with matches. Any normal parents will hug the child and say, I love you. I forgive you. Of course. But the pain will be there for a long time. And the scar probably for life. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Because there are some people in the Christian church who have the wrong idea of forgiveness. Somehow they think that God is a sugar daddy sitting up there in heaven just grinning. Or whatever you do is fine. First of all, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that forgiveness has nothing to do with the quality of the love of God for us. It doesn't change it. That our sin and God's forgiveness has nothing to do with the quantity of the love of God. God's love never changes. But by the same token, I want to tell you this. That forgiveness does not stop the fact that sin is sin and righteousness is righteousness and the two can never merge and the two can never mix and the two can never meet. Forgiveness does not alter the fact that sin is a transgression of the righteousness of God. Forgiveness does not alter the fact that sin and righteousness are opposed to each other. In a day when even the church and its leadership legislating And accepting sin as a proper way of life. I know that what I'm saying is not popular in the church nowadays. I know that. Today, so many people have lowered the standard of righteousness. And they laugh at sin. And they attempt to blur the two. But I want to tell you, God is not laughing. This is not a laughing matter. If it were so, I want to tell you, then Jesus must have bled on the cross for nothing. If righteousness can be mixed up with sin, then Jesus would have left the splendor of heaven and died for nothing. But rather on the cross, Jesus built a bridge so that we can go from the state of our sin into the state of his righteousness. That we can go from the state of defeat to the state of victory. Jesus died on the cross so we can cross that bridge. Not mix them, not merge them, not muddle them. If God judges us on the basis of lowering the standard of righteousness and he winks at sin, then God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's justice, God's mercy will have to come crashing down. Of course God forgives us. That is the very essence of the gospel. When we repent and when we turn to him, but not at the expense of his justice. Of course God pardons us when we turn to him. We genuinely repent. But he cannot condone the lightheartedness towards sin. Of course he redeems us 
but he cannot condone our shifting of the blame. And I know this is a problem that some of us parents face. That we tend to forgive our children so easily and so quickly. And I don't mean time-wise. I mean by forgiving so quickly is, is light-heartedly. That we forgive without proper conviction of the wrong. We tend to quickly absolve our children of blame and wrongly think this is how we can have emotionally healthy children. This is how we are helping them to grow up to be guilt-free. Now listen to me, you know you've heard me before. I preach against false guilt. I am dead set against false guilt. But true and proper guilt over sin can only lead you to true and proper repentance. And will give you God's proper restoration. Parents, listen to me. Look at the mistakes that David made in his life. Watch the way he treated his family. And I want you to learn from his mistakes. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to. Parents, you must take time to let your child understand the wrong that he or she committed. Parents, you must take time to make them understand why you are forgiving them. You must take time to explain to them that although you are forgiving them, that appropriate measure of discipline must take place. You must take time to explain to them and open your hearts to them. Let them see that the very discipline you are exercising is the very heart of love. is not contrary to the love for them. On the other hand, discipline without explanation is as bad as winking at their sin. Learning to take responsibility for our actions I believe with all my heart is the first step for turning this nation around to proper return to God. Not blame this and blame that and blame the other one. I was thinking and reflecting upon society and of where we've come and how we all pass the blame. And I came across something a little poetic of how the blame gets shifted to everybody else except facing reality. It starts with the college professor. Now, if you're category in one of these people, please forgive me ahead of time. It has nothing to do with you. Here's what the college professor says when he sees that particular student that this poem talks about. He says, such wrongness in a student is a shame. Poor high school preparation is to be blamed. <laughs> well, here's the high school principal. He ain't going to take the blame. Listen to what he says. It is plain to see the boy is a perfect fool. The fault lies strictly with the grammar school. Well, the grammar school teacher ain't going to take the blame. Listen to what he said. (laughs) I would that from such dolts I might be spared. (laughs) They send them up to me unprepared. Kindergarten teacher's not going to take the blame. Never such a lack of training did I see. What sort of a person... Could that mother be? (laughs) Mother's not going to take the blame. Listen to what the mother said. You stupid child. (laughs) But you are not to blame. Your father's folks, I know they are all the same. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, 2 Samuel 12, we see through the words of Nathan, God forgives David's sin. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, David said to Nathan, I have sinned 
against the Lord. I am to blame. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has forgiven you. You will not die. But because of what you've done, you give the enemies of the Lord the opportunity to blaspheme. Therefore, the child that is born must surely die. Please, I want you to hear me right. I don't want you to misunderstand me today. Whatever you do, don't ever confuse the absolute biblical truth that simply because God is a forgiving God, and He is, that it means that He is not a just judge. Just because God forgives us our sins, and He forgives us again and again and again, it doesn't mean that He stopped being offended by sin or abhors sin. Oh, because God is a forgiving God, He's a heart of forgiveness, it doesn't mean that we will not harvest the bitter fruit of our sin. The parent who forgave the child because of the wrong choice of playing with matches, they would do anything to take it back, but they can't. It's the consequences. They can't do anything to take it away or to hide the scars. They will always be there as a reminder of the fruit of disobedience. David now must reap what he has sown. David arranged for Uriah to be slain by the sword. And the word of God came that the sword will not depart from your home. David committed adultery privately and behind the scene. His wives will be betrayed. Publicly. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you give, will be the measure you get. No wonder the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 6 he said, He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. What does he mean? He's saying that the harvest is going to be answerable to the seed. The reward is answerable to the work. What do I mean by this? If you're going to sow cotton in the ground, you're not going to get corn. If you sow wheat, you're not going to get cotton. If you sow love, you'll reap love. If you sow faithfulness with the use of your time, you'll receive blessings of time. If you sow money, you'll receive money. The crop is answerable To the seed. But more than that. Your crop. Will be greater or smaller. Depending on the quantity. Of your sowing. Your reward will be more. Or less. According to the quality. Of your work. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.8. He said every man shall receive his own reward. According to his own labor. I'm ready to conclude. And I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you right now. Before you turned your life over to Christ. Before you received the Lord Jesus Christ into your life and became born of the Spirit of God. Everything in your life was a series of rebellion. A chain of disobedience. But after your heart has been regenerated. After your mind has been enlightened by the power of the Spirit of God. 
and the Word of God. After your relationship with the Lord has been established. Listen carefully. You become accountable to biblical standards. You become accountable to God's standards. Not the world's standards. You become accountable for your conduct. If you see a hobo in the street who looks like a hobo, dressed like a hobo, smells like a hobo, you probably don't give him a second glance. But after this particular hobo is adopted into the royal family, he's been bathed and cleaned and washed and dressed in the royal clothes. He must learn to behave like a prince. He must learn to walk like a prince. And he must smell like a prince. You and I must always face up to the consequences of our sin. Because David knew better. David said beforehand that he delights in the laws of God. With all that knowledge, he sinned. But nonetheless... God was willing to forgive him. God is willing to forgive you. God is willing to forgive me. Not once, not twice, not a zillion times. But over and over and over again. He is a forgiving God. But to know how to repent. By first accepting the consequences of your sin. Can make for a proper restoration in your relationship with the Lord. Why? Because you see, you're no longer a spiritual hobo. You're a prince. You're a princess. And we must live to the standards of our royal daddy in heaven. We must live up to the standards of our royal palace in heaven. We must focus our energy on pleasing our adopted father and the standard of our adopted father king. Adam and Eve... Well, they weren't really blaming each other per se. They were doing that. Adam said, you know, God, this is a use of translation. If you didn't give me Eve, I wouldn't have been in this mess that I'm in. What did Eve say? Yeah, it's true. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I wonder often what would have happened had they repented. (laughs) And Eve blamed God too. She said, hey, you brought that serpent into the garden. (laughs) Put the blame back on God. You've seen people who have done that. But I want to tell you, there are things that happen in life that are totally out of our control and not the fruit of our sin. That's a different matter. It's a different subject. I'm talking specifically about the fruit of our sin. We walk in the age of grace in the name of Jesus and the power of His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which we celebrate today, who's given the person of the Trinity, is given to us in order to empower us, in order to strengthen us, in order to give us victory over sin and convict us when we do sin. For that, I'm eternally grateful. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.